Holy God, you are welcomed in this place. Come flood the air. Fill our very breath with your presence. May we draw near to you this morning, encountering you like we never have before, coming to greater understanding of the depth of your love and the breadth of your grace, recognizing our place in the world that you are shaping, knowing what it means to be wholly devoted to you. Grant us peace this morning as we seek you out. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. So I brought a toy this morning because I, I like, I'm a visual learner, so here's my visual. And now, you know, putting this into perspective, I, I have a bigger one I probably should have brought. This is kind of small. It's a globe, by the way, if you, if, you know, you're like me and very nearsighted and I can barely tell what it is. It's a globe. Um, this, we have a lot of these in our house, Kristen and I, um, collected over the years from, I'm not exactly sure what all of the instances. This one, though, uh, was given to me by, uh, by the youth group that I was serving uh, in Buford, Georgia. It was a very sweet gift, and there's a Bible verse on it. But it's a, it, it sits on uh, my desk at home as a reminder just how small I am. And that's, I don't know if that's entirely something people need to be reminded of all the time, but I appreciate remembering that... I don't know, you know, there's, there's absolutely no way you could possibly see Mobile on, on this globe right here. But I try to look at that and think, of all of the earth, there I sit. And everywhere around me are 7.7 plus billion people. Have you ever thought about that before? Like really considered that there we are on this tiny spot, completely unrecognizable on, on an earth this size. And you know, we have a, a decent sized population for the state of Alabama. And yet, all around us, on this earth, 7.7 plus billion people. And that number, by the way, is uh, ever-increasing. It's like increasing by 63 million people a year, which uh, is a pretty, pretty rapid expansion of our population. And there we are. And you know what stuns me even more than just the, the numbers that I would like to throw out this morning, you know, the 7.7 plus billion people, and the fact that every time I get into rush hour traffic, I think surely those 7.7 .7 plus billion people are driving all around me. That was especially the case whenever we lived in Atlanta, holy cow. And yet that's just a fraction of the people. But every single one of those people, and I invite you to consider this, how every single one of those 7.7 .7 billion people, not a single one, was ever meant to be alone. And, and now, I, I, you know, we hear this kind of expression whenever it comes to romantic movies, like, oh, there's somebody out there for everybody and all this stuff. That's all well and good, fine, whatever. That's, uh, I want to explore that topic on a community basis in that not a single person on the face of this planet was ever meant to be without community. 
that not a single person on this planet was ever meant to exist in solitude. And just thinking about that notion, we begin to to really see the daunting task that lies before the church, to be a community that reminds the world no one is an island, no person stands alone, and that we are here for each and every one of them. And this is a beautiful day to consider that. So for those of you who may not know, today is World Communion Sunday. And this is a pretty big deal in the life of the church. It's not United Methodist Communion Sunday. It's World Communion Sunday. Churches all across the globe from varying denominations are gathering together to celebrate the sacrament that reminds us of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf and the acceptance into the family of God that we have been given through that sacrifice. World Communion Sunday. We gather together today to remember our place in that world. And what better way to recognize our place than at the table? So this morning, uh, I want us to look at the history of gathering at the table. And I'm not going to spend too much time on the history of it because, you know, history. Okay. In Jesus' day, ancient Near Eastern civilization, the table was everything. And what I mean by that is everything important happened at the table. The dining table, that is, the dinner table. That's where status was developed. That's where people understood their place. That's where people understood what groups they were a part of. That's where business got done. And a fun fact about the table is that most tables in Jesus' day looked very similar. They were a U-shaped, looked a bit like that, um, where the head of the table would have been right about where my thumbs touch. And then extending out from that point where, where everybody else sat around the table and Your position at the table was a a telltale sign of your uh, socioeconomic status, typically, or at least your status in the eyes of the person at the head of the table, because the table was where people developed themselves by hosting a meal, and then you, you you would host a meal, and then you would invite people who were either close to you or people who could build you up. And by doing so, you you elevated your status. And so sitting closest to you at the head of the table, you wanted those people who were the wealthiest or the people who had the most influence or the people who could do uh, the most for you. And extending out, you got lower and lower uh, socioeconomic status or lower and lower status in general. And Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the table. Jesus spends a lot of time helping us discern how important a shared meal actually is. In fact, I, I would wager to say, and I haven't done the actual math on this, but at least half of Jesus' ministry happened or at, at or around the table. I mean, just think about the different points in Jesus' life, whether it be the feeding of the 5,000, sharing a meal together, or the moments in which Jesus is caught eating with sinners, or the time in which after Jesus' resurrection he prepares breakfast for his disciples. Or, of course, the meal in which we recognize today as the Last Supper, in which Jesus gathered around the table with his disciples and shared a final meal with them, letting them know what was to happen. And it's at the table that Jesus was able to help 
the people articulate what a transformed community might look like. In, uh, in Luke, this happens more than once, but the, the story in Luke is on my mind. Uh, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, the people of status and power, and he says to them, whenever you throw a meal, whenever you have a feast or a banquet or whatever, don't invite your friends or your family or the people who are rich. Instead, invite the poor, those who are differently abled, those who don't have a place in society, those who are outcasts. Invite those people. And the reason why is because Jesus recognizes that the wealthy people, the people who have it all together, will get invited to a meal no matter what. And I'm sure you, you all recognize this, whether or not you have wealth and power and whatnot, that people who are wealthy and have power get invited to a lot of banquets and charity dinners and stuff like this, and there's always something for them to go to, if not a restaurant. You know, there's, there's always going to be some place they're invited to. But the, the poor, the outcast, the people who are different, those are the ones who aren't welcomed at the table very often, Right? These are the people whom community in our society isn't catered for. And I don't put that delicately for a reason. Because in our mindset, the people that we want to surround ourselves with at the table are the people who are either like us or the people who can get us places. But Jesus says, none of this is going to do any good for you, practically speaking, on the one hand, and on the other hand, spiritually speaking, it has zero benefit for the world. Instead, invite the poor, the, lo- the least, the lost, the lonely, the outcast, those who have no other place to go to, as a reminder that there is a place at God's table for them. So today, we are recognizing that at the table of God, there's a place for every person in the world. Uh, a couple of years ago, by a couple I mean like 20, almost, oh gosh, almost 25 years ago, uh, the United Methodist Church released a document called, the, uh, called This Holy Mystery. And it's a document which expounds upon the United Methodist theology of Holy Communion. Of, uh, and talks about the different names of it, things like the Eucharist, the Great Thanksgiving, Holy Communion, uh, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, or this Holy Mystery. And, uh, and this document, by the way, is open source. You can look it up online and find it. It's really cool to uh, read, you know, if you're a church nerd like myself. And, uh, and in it, uh, as it explores the different underlying tones of this sacrament, uh, it, it kind of broadens our theology of how we approach the table. And so while it goes through uh, several different ways in which Holy Communion can be interpreted, the way in which I want to look at it today is in, its, in this name, which we call Holy Communion. Now, in, uh, in the Great Thanksgiving is also a name for it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But Holy Communion is where I want to touch. And in this document, this Holy Mystery, The authors state, Holy Communion is the communion of the church. Now, here's where I've got to issue a warning because, you know, you know whenever you start saying a word so many times that it begins to lose its meaning? This is like kind of a red flag right now. Go ahead and be prepared that I'm going to say the word communion a lot. Don't let it lose its meaning. 
Holy communion is the communion of the church. And what that means is, think about the root of communion, community, the collective, the gathered. Holy communion is the way in which the church expresses and experiences its community in full. It's the gathered community of the faithful, both local and universal. And we, we particularly experience that universal today on World Communion Sunday when we're considering the fact that all across the globe, while we're in a different time, time zone than most people, all across the globe, people on this day have been or are or will be participating in Holy Communion with us. And while Holy Communion is deeply meaningful to individuals participating in it, the sacrament is much more than just a personal event. And we can see that whenever we get to the liturgy. In just a little bit, we will be going through the liturgy of Holy Communion. And, and notice that the first person pronouns are all collective. There, there, aren't, there isn't an I or a me in this liturgy. It's all we, us, our. It's collective. And it's meant to be so in order to help, help uh, us to understand that this isn't something we do in isolation. This is something that we do together. In this holy mystery, there's this quote. The sharing and bonding experienced at the table exemplify the nature of the church and model the world as God would have it be. Think about that for a moment. The sharing and bonding experience at the table exemplify the nature of the church and model the world as God would have it be. In other words, whenever we come up to this table, we are participating in an activity in which God has designed for the entire world to experience and for the entire world to be modeled after. From the very first moments of the liturgy, the very first thing that, that is said is Christ invites to his table all. And then there is a moment of confession and pardon. And then we get to this moment of the Lord be with you. Every single act of liturgy is all about reshaping the way that we consider our communal mindset, the way that we interact with one another. And then we come, we come, whenever we come up to receive the elements, and I won't tell anybody how they should or should not come up to receive the elements, but the most appropriate way to do so is to come up with hands cupped, like this, and to come up and, receive, and have somebody hand to you the bread as a symbol that we come before God with nothing empty, and it is God who fills us. And we take the bread and then we dip it in the common cup, this cup which is shared among us, this notion that we are participating in this together, that we are unifying ourselves in this, and then we partake. It is an emblem of what, how God has designed our world to be in community, in connection. Our scripture this morning from uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says, the cup, of, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. On this, one, on, on this World Communion Sunday, we connect with our brothers and sisters across the globe in recognition of one simple thing. We need each other. We need each other. 
the church and all of its activities and sacraments are a, an emblem to the world, a statement that says we are better together. We operate best when we are operating in connection with one another, when we are operating as a community of faith, not just individuals of faith. Whenever we work together for whatever, for our common goal and our uh, mission and purpose, we recognize that we need each other because together we can accomplish so much more. Together we can support one another. Together we are there for one another. Together we make a difference in the world. And most importantly, on this World Communion Sunday, as we connect with our brothers and sisters across the globe, we also recognize that all are welcomed at the table. There isn't a single person that's excluded. You don't have to be a member of the United Methodist Church or of any church to come forward and receive communion. This is God's table, open and available for any person who wishes to come forward and encounter God. That is, that is the beauty of all of this, is that it's open to everybody. Nobody is excluded. And if, any, if at any point a church denies a person holy communion, we are essentially getting in the way of God's love for the world. Saying, no God, you don't have a say in this, we have the final say. But that's not the way this works. This is, this is an act of God reaching out to the world to display open and hospitable love for everyone. Holy communion is a sacrament in our church, in, in every church. And the word sacrament, which means an, uh, something which is set apart, is we, we state that a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. In other words, in this, in this practice of Holy Communion, we are partaking in a visible sign of God's grace inwardly toward us, and God is working in and through us. And this is all part of the holy mystery but one of the most beautiful things for me in, in acknowledging the holy mystery of Holy Communion is that regardless of what may separate us, whether it be geographical distance, cultural differences, differences of opinions and mindsets and ways that we interact with the world, no matter what it may be that separates us, we are all one in the love of Christ, connected, unified, established as a single body, we are all one in the love of Christ. But here's the thing. And my question for us today that I do want us to go forward with thinking about is who is missing from this table that we need to invite? And I want us to really consider this. Who is missing from this table that we need to invite to the table? Who are the people that we passed by on our way to church this morning that have never been invited to the table? Who are those people who think themselves unworthy to come before God? Who are those people whom we don't think are worthy to come before God? Who isn't present at the table that we need to invite? Because the entire establishment of the church is meant to be a community of faith declaring the glorious works of God in the world. And it doesn't happen without that first part, a community of faith, an emblem to the world of God's hope and dreams for humanity, of connection, of, of community, of a people bonding together 
to make beautiful things happen. The thing about this kind of community, contrary to whatever other social clubs or country clubs or organizations that we all may be a part of, is that no one is excluded from this community. That there is never a moment in which we say, you are not welcomed here. Because God has already declared, you are welcomed here. That this is a place for you. For everyone. And that is the way, as we come forward to receive communion this morning, that is the way that I want us to be thinking about the life and ministry of this church. That no one is excluded from here. But that everybody is welcomed at the table. That everybody has a spot at the table. God's table has no shortage of seats. That everybody is welcomed here to participate and to partake. And then to go forward and invite invite another person to the table. The table is where it all happens. It's where the difference is made. It's where we come together displaying God's love for the entire world. Out of 7.7 plus billion people on the face of this earth, not a single one was ever meant to be alone. And our greatest weapon against loneliness is community, community for all people. So let us think about that. Who isn't at the table who needs to be invited? Who may not have been welcomed at another table that we have a space for? What does it mean for us to be a church that says all are welcomed here? Let us think about that this week. And let us pray together.